Gumbo listeners, we are back with episode number 126. I'm your host, Demetrius Malbro, and today I have Doug Soltis, Director of Product Solutions at Storage Made Easy. And Doug has held director roles for SwiftStack and Cloudian, both leaders in on-premises object storage. And Doug's focus has been to build solutions, enabling end users to seamlessly consume next-generation cloud APIs. A noted speaker and panelist, he has conducted sessions at AWS reInvent, VMworld, OpenStack Summit, and Citrix Synergy. And as Director of Product Solutions, Doug looks to solve the last mile problem, issues experienced when consuming today's mix of private and public cloud storage. Now in this episode, we discuss how to protect data in the cloud from ransomware, the role of APIs in data protection, and two kinds of automation. So sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo, Doug. How are you today? I'm very good, Demetrius. Thanks for having me back on. Absolutely. And I I wanted to make sure that I, I indeed pulled you back on. You are at a new company called Storage Made Easy. And since the last time I had you on, I, I really, really am curious to hear just a little bit about Storage Made Easy and also some of the, some of the changes that have happened in your life uh, since the last time I had you on the show. So, yeah, last time I was on the, the show, I was with a company called SwiftStack, and uh, I believe they've been bought by NVIDIA at this point. They make object storage. And uh, I, I'm still a big advocate of object storage. I think it's a, a very modern type of uh, data storage. It uses an API and it's great for backup, but it's good for a lot of other programs. And so essentially after working in object storage for a while, this company Storage Made Easy said, you know, we'd really like to have you on. You're you're a storage expert, you know, uh, different types of API. And I said, well, what does your product do? And they said, well, it's really pretty simple. We're almost like a universal translator for all of these different storage protocols and APIs. So they give a Dropbox-like view into any type of storage you want. So if you've got S3 and you've got FTP and you've got some NASes, um, it doesn't really matter, but we can give a single pane of glass into all those different types of storages. We unify them, we give you a search across it. What we don't do is sell any storage. So you still go to your NetApp, you go to your clouding, you go to your Swift stack, you go to whoever you want. It can be Dropbox, it can be Google Drive, and you purchase storage from them. And we just really make managing it easy because in the multi-cloud environment we're in today, that can be really hard for a lot of uh, um, institutions. Hmm. There was a lot that you said there. And one thing that actually stuck out to me is you mentioned APIs and I know that APIs are very key and critical to, you know, pull information, pull data, and to also integrate into other systems, uh, which is what you guys are doing on the storage side, which is pretty awesome. Um, But what I really want to know is what role does APIs play just overall in, in in the data management and analytics space? Sure, sure. So when you think about it, um, the way that we all started in IT, you know, going back uh, a decade or two ago, you you had uh, protocols. So you have things like FTP or SMB or NFS, and you're used to using them with a CLI command line. And those are really good for humans because humans like to bang this stuff out. But when you start thinking about today's modern systems, they need to speak to each other. And, you know, the the easiest example I can give you is if you're programming a command, maybe it's just a directory listing, 
sometimes we've all listed a directory and that directory has maybe some files that have a really long name and the wrapping or the screen doesn't appear right. But you as a human, you're smart enough. You, you don't need machine learning. You, you can figure that out. But a computer program that you write, if it's using a, a protocol or if it's using um, some sort of CLI access, it doesn't understand that data coming back. Um, you break it. It, it. it really has to be precise. And so today, almost everything we work with, obviously a storage made easy, we're working with a ton of legacy protocols, but we work a lot with APIs because APIs pretty much always return either XML or JSON, and they're formatted and they're consistent. And you know, that said, my developers, if, if I go to them and I say, hey, Dropbox just changed their API version from V1 to V2, they still pull their hair out. It, it still means that they, there's work to do, but it means that once we build something, it's going to work consistently day after day. And I think that the consistency is what you need in today's modern era. And it's really how all of these programs get glued together. And so I would recommend anybody working on a new software program or purchasing something like a, you know, whether it's a Veeam or a Commvault or something like that, find out two things. The first one is, you know, can you speak to it via API? That's going to allow you to integrate it into other software systems. And um, also find out, you know, how their API works, because there's so many great little tools that you can use or make out there if you know how that works. And if all they have is a command line interface, you can build something, but they could release a little update or your file structure could change and that could break pretty easily. Yeah, I, I really like that as well. And so just just for some of the gumbo listeners that may not be as savvy with APIs and know exactly what they are, what, what's your definition of an API? Just take it back one-on-one and also like, why should someone, let's say, in the backup and recovery or storage industry, uh, if they're just an administrator, why should they even, you know, maybe know about APIs? So I think, um, you know, obviously APIs are more hand uh, useful for developers. But like I said, if you're in the space, um, you want to know that the tool that you're purchasing is extensible. It, it can do more than maybe what you just purchased it for today. Because as we've seen recently with COVID, uh, things change quickly and sometimes you have to pivot on a dime. And so when I think about an API, I think of it as a way to interact with a program remotely. So usually when we're talking about a CLI, you know, you're sitting at the computer, you're typing in the command, whether that's listing. And some of these CLIs can can execute something remotely. But it's a way for a computer to speak to something else remotely. And I, I admit, it's really difficult sometimes for a human to read it. So when I'm working with Amazon S3 and there's a bug and I need to, you know, go to the command line and run a couple of AWS commands and see the result set, you know, JSON and XML are not kind of human, or at least to me, you know, my, my brain gets a little confused. But I know that if I parse that with the right programs, the data results come back consistently. It's easy to search in the file. So um, an API to me is just a, a, a way to work with another program remotely. Okay. That's a good definition for me. And you, you mentioned COVID and it, it always seems to come up because we're, we're still sort of in the thick of it with these different variants and vaccinations. And it's kind of a lot right now that, that um, you know, we've gone through quite a bit over the last year and a half or two. And just building on the COVID theme, uh, 
What's the the most important thing that you think the IT industry and you can drill down into the storage industry? What's the one thing that you you think COVID did to the industry that was actually great? So I think um, remote work is here to stay. And and I think that that's a benefit for most people. And I think that most people agree with me. And so I, I remember, I don't remember what article I was reading, whether it was the Wall Street Journal or something else, but they said that, um, you know, right now Americans are quitting in record numbers, but they're not quitting the workforce. The great resignation. Yep. Yeah. And so they're, they're, they're leaving one job and going to another one because uh, there's a lot of work out there and, um, you know, salaries are getting jacked up. And I read another report that said of people polled, 30 percent of them said if their office demanded that they were back in person all the time. And, and let's assume that COVID goes away. Right. They're, they're, there's no longer COVID. They've adjusted to work working remotely. They don't like the commute. They, they enjoy the, the new family life balance where 30% of them said they would leave the company if the company said, hey, tomorrow, everybody has to come back in. And um, I, I even saw today, I think Lyft announced that people won't have to come back to the office till 2023. And it seems like the date keeps getting pushed out and out and out. And so I think that, that that's a blessing and a curse, right? It's a blessing for most workers um, in that once they can take advantage of remote work, they've got maybe two extra hours a day. They don't have the stress of, of commuting in and all. But who it really affects are going to be the IT folks, because now you have a whole different paradigm. You you previously had everybody come into the office. You had gigabit Ethernet switches. You had uh, high speed Wi-Fi. And now you're dealing with, you know, maybe the person's personal PC, you have um, different policies that you have to roll out, you have to look at your bandwidth, you have to look at all of these different um, functions. And I think that, you know, it's, it's almost like a different type of digital transformation now. And I think that that's really been a headache uh, for, for many IT folks. Okay, yeah, so that's that's sort of the, the human side of it. What about maybe like infrastructure deployment? What do you think COVID has did just to, you know, large companies, maybe even smaller, medium-sized businesses uh, around just deploying infrastructure in general? So, I mean, I personally think that we've seen a rush to the cloud. And I know that plenty of companies were moving to the cloud before this. And, um, you know, when, when Storage Made Easy works with different customers, you know, the smaller ones, I would say, before COVID, the ones 100 employees or, or less, they were looking at moving to the cloud because, you know, the cost to have an IT person to maintain uh, servers and air conditioning and all that, that, that was cost prohibitive for maybe a company, 100 employees or less. But when you start looking at companies that are 100 employees or more, at the end of the day, buying some cheap servers from Dell is um, is still more economical, running it on-prem, having your own technical staff, because it's not like just moving things to the cloud. You don't need your IT team anymore. You don't necessarily need the air conditioning at all, but now there's all new APIs to learn. Now there's all new dashboards and, and things like that. And so with the, the, the COVID and working from home, I think a lot of those even bigger companies started to realize that they've got a bottleneck that the cloud doesn't have. So maybe they've got tons of CPU and a ton of storage and backups and tapes and everything at the office. But if you can't go in the office to change a tape and a tape drive, or if your office has a, a 100 megabit link to the internet, you know, that starts to become a bottleneck. And so I've seen them start to shift these bigger companies to the cloud because people like Amazon, Google, um, Azure, 
they, they've got the bandwidth and they have the CPU and the compute. And, and I'll definitely tell you, I think they're spending a lot more money, but I think they have to because I don't think a lot of companies had the internet presence that is required uh, to kind of allow all these remote workers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And also you're, you're talking about, you know, companies are, you know, still migrating workloads to the cloud at a, at a rapid pace. And I'm not sure if COVID increased that or not, but, you know, I, I continue to read articles that say, you know, more workloads are being moved to the cloud by more more companies. Um, and security also comes up as well. Uh, when you're talking about the cloud and you have the shared responsibility model where some people may not be as privy to who's responsible for what, that if my data is in the cloud, it's secure. No, that's not the case, right? You, you as the consumer or the user have to, you're responsible for securing your own data. Absolutely. Right. With things like, you know, MFA um, and SSO and just strong passwords, you know, general things that people still don't uh, get right today. But the question for you is, so how do you protect that data, um, the data that's in the cloud, let's say from something like ransomware or maybe a phishing attack? You know, is it done the same way as an on-prem environment or is there a a difference in your mind? I think there's a big difference. So um, one of the things that we excel at at Storage Made Easy, so when when I talked to you last time, I was working for SwiftStack and um, I've worked with Cloudian, and I've worked with MinIO, and, and Scality, and all of these different object storage companies. And one thing that comes up a lot is people say, well, how do I back this up? Or, or even Amazon S3, how do I back it up? And the answer from a lot of these companies is, well, you don't need to, right? We, we're, you know, we've got 16 nines data durability, and we've got five nines availability, and so you don't need to back it up. And, and I don't think that's true, because at the end of the day, working at Storage Made Easy, one of the things that we see is that you don't have to worry about those advanced object storage systems losing your data. You have to worry about the human aspect. And the human aspect can either be internal, it can be internal threats, it can be internal, I don't want to call it incompetence, but somebody makes a mistake, right? You type the wrong command in and you delete a whole bunch of assets. You literally tell the object storage system to go delete something that was never supposed to be deleted. And you know, how do you explain to your boss that you, you've got this system that never fails, never goes down, can lose disk nodes, everything like that. But the, the, the thing that beat it was was a human. And you start looking at, at companies like Commvault or you look at, you know, companies like Veeam and you say, well, how do they back up Amazon S3 or how do they back up a, a Scality? And the answer is they don't because the these vendors have basically said, you know, we build a system that you don't have to back up. And so now it, it places a lot of emphasis on the consumer. So you're, you're a consumer and maybe you're not dealing with those big things. Maybe you just have Google Drive or you've got Google Photos and Google comes out and they say, well, it, this happened to me. They said, we used to allow you to bring all of your photos in at a low resolution for free, but now we're going to start charging for everything. So now I want to either back that up or I want to move my data somewhere else. You know, how do I do that when I've when I've sunk it all into this one place? And so, one of the easy answers is uh, if you're if you're good at IT, there's this uh, program out there. It's open source called Rclone, and Rclone speaks a number of different cloud protocols, probably about ten of them. And if you're you're savvy enough, it's kind of like rsync. You can move and copy your data around. Now, if you're not that savvy, that's exactly what Storage Made Easy does. So we speak all of those different protocols, and we have something called 
uh, forever file. And so you could go to your Amazon S3 or your Google you know, Drive or your you know, SharePoint, and you can say, I want to protect this with Wasabi, or I want to protect this with Azure, or, or you know what, I want to replicate it back to my Net, NetApp, and we're going to give you that kind of protection. And I don't think there are many softwares out there um, and, and obviously, you speak to a lot more people in the backup space that that back up those kind of cloud environments. And and you might tell me you're seeing a lot of new ones coming, or you might tell me that's a, a big hole. But I think it's a big hole. That's where a lot of our customers come in. One of the things that I'm really curious about is so you mentioned being able to kind of you know move those workloads around. And and what was the name of that tool again? You mentioned R R Sync or it's called R Clone. And it's, uh, okay. you can get it at rclone.org, and it's open source. I think it's written in Go. And um, again, it's a little bit more complicated to set up. Um, and, and if you look at their list, they've got about 20 different APIs that they they speak, but some of them are duplicates, right? So they'll have, you know, um, say, Cloudian and Scality and Amazon, but they're all really speaking S3. Um, we did work with them. We, we've worked with their team, and they speak the enterprise file fabric, the, the product we make at Storage Made Easy. They, make, they speak our API. And so because we speak things like Web Dev or CMIS or FTP or SFTP, if it turns out that there's something it doesn't talk, either we do or we do and you could pair the two products together but it's a really great um, product if, if and, and it's totally free so go out there hit rclone.org and uh, look at this tool for moving and shuffling your data around between different clouds and so so you mentioned that it it i guess it's enterprise ready even though it's it's open source right well i when you say enterprise ready it, it doesn't have a gui um i i think it has a limited api it's a tool and, and it's a good tool. Um, you'd have to be kind of decent at scripting if you wanted something to, you know, get backed up every day or moved around. And so um, it, it's definitely a good free tool. And, you know, I know plenty of people in, in the enterprise that are good at scripting tools together. Um, but um, it, if not, that's where companies like Storage Made Easy come in. Okay. And so with that said, also, what are your thoughts around CICD um, deployments and DevOps and DevSecOps and, and all, of, all of those uh, terminologies that individuals are thro throwing around now. You, you read them in a lot of blog posts and even, you know, companies are building entire brands around um, these particular terminology, uh, etc. So what, what are your thoughts on, on DevOps and just how the, the entire ecosystem of, you know, continuous integration and continuous deployment and the whole development um, shift that's happening right now. So, you know, I, I throw that all into kind of automation and um, it, it's been a blessing for our company. So we build the enterprise file fabric for if you're running on-prem, you, you've got it for VMware right there, their hypervisor ESX. You've got it for KVM, which is what Linux ships with and, um, you know, a number of other um, systems out there. We've got it for Hyper-V. And then we also have it that we build an image uh, for OpenStack, we build an image for Amazon, we build an image for Google, we build an image for Azure. And the thing about CICD is that it takes a little bit of time to learn and set up. But when I first arrived at this company you know, years ago, um, they, they had started that and they had it maybe for just building for VMware, but other parts, you know, you had to, you had to kind of get in there and do, and it could take you 
a day to build our image for each of these different ones before we shipped our new releases. And today, because we've we've built this in, right? So we it, there are plenty of tools that give you the CI/CD, and that can be your GitLab or your GitHub or your Jenkins or your Ansible or your Puppet. And when you bake those tools together, what it means is that my developers can push a, a code fix or a patch for somebody or security update, and we can literally press a single button and deploy to 10 different platforms or get that out to our customers in a shorter amount of time. And so it kind of takes away some of the, the minutia. So what I mean by that is I'm an IT guy and I absolutely love being an IT guy. I love having conversations like this, learning new protocols, reading about new tech. And what I don't like doing is the same thing over and over and over again. That's why I get a computer to do, right? And so if you can teach your computer through kind of like a programming language to build a consistent result every single time, uh, that's a, a, it, it is going to enable you to s spend less time and to get into more markets. And so, you know, when I first joined SME, we were really only the Amazon cloud, and now we're in so many clouds because a lot of clouds run OpenStack, um, and of course, you know, Google and Azure, two other giants out there. And um, you know, what would have taken us weeks to do is now just touch button. So, um, I know those words get thrown around, but what the way I think about it is, how do you automate everything so that it's consistent and it's efficient? Yeah, and I remember when. Automation wasn't a really big deal the way it is today because, you know, 15, 20 years ago when I started out as a backup administrator, you know, I knew about scripting and there were, you know, cron jobs that you could set up to kind of automatically start jobs at a certain time, right? Um, and that was kind of the, the old school method of doing it, but it's really evolved a lot. And I, I just can't, I can't keep up with the number of programming languages that are out there and the entire ecosystem of you know how things have developed with git github and gitlab and all these gits yep. <laughs> right it's just it, it's another world and the developer is reigning king today and automation as you just mentioned as well is something that um it's i think it's just getting started and we we have a lot of innovation to to still see on that side of the house and i i think that even ties into the whole data protection because there, there's two types of data protection, right? There's the end user's data protection, but there's also corporate IP, intellectual property. And so at Storage Made Easy, we build a product. And let's say I am the expert on how to build that product. Now, if I get hit by a bus, like somebody else is going to have to look at my scripts or my this or my that and try to figure it out. But if I've documented the whole thing in code, essentially, right? I have it as CICD, you press a button, it automates. One, it means that any of our developers can do it without having to be an expert in automation like me. The second thing is, if I get hit by a bus, what I've used is a very common language. And, and to your point, you know, maybe one guy is great at Ansible, another one's Salt, another one's Chef, but it just means you hire the right employee you know, to replace me. And, and this could be if I leave the company, it means that I'm not taking IP away from the company. And so I think it's a different type of data protection, but I gotta be honest, I think more and more companies today are using IT, you know, everywhere. I mean, th th that's really to me what digital transformation is, is, um, you know, back in the day, I remember I was a CIO at a company and, you know, I came in and we had computers and we networked them. And then, you know, slowly over time, things started coming underneath my, my wings. And so, you know, we, we had copiers and the copiers were under facilities until they got a network port on them. 
and also now there were copiers and printers. And then all of a sudden the copiers got a fax machine them. Now they're 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 everything. And so now I'm responsible for all that. And the phone systems became IP enabled. So now they're running over my network. And the video cameras went from CCD to IP based. And so back then the digital transformation was, you know, all of these different things are now becoming um, automated or regulated or IP based, and they're falling under IT. And I think today, you know, the same thing can be said about building your product or building your brand. Um, today, if you ask me, you know, about digital transformation 2021, I would say that almost every company I work with today through Storage Made Easy is a media company. And I don't mean that they're media entertainment, right? That, that they're, you know, they've got three different um, stations, but I mean, today, the content that's being put out there, I mean, look, look at yourself, you, you make this podcast, you, you're media and entertainment and companies need to do their own podcast. Companies need to have their own YouTube channel. The, they need to have demos of their product. And so it almost seems like it doesn't matter if your company makes chairs and bars of soap, you need to have a media presence today. And it's it's amazing how the digital transformation continues to evolve. And, and you know, again, tying back to our product, at Storage Made Easy, we had to start baking in probably about three years ago a number of media enhancements because more and more of our customers, even if they are not in the media entertainment business, are now dealing with audio and video, and it's part of their daily IT workloads. Mm, man, you are on a roll, Doug. Man. Jeez, I don't even have to ask questions. You just like answer them before I even ask the question. So I appreciate that. You make my job really easy. No, it um, is. And, and you know, one thing I thought about too, as you were speaking, just over the last 20 years, kind of how I started out. And I remember when I started out fresh out of college at IBM on their uh, ADSM team, and that's AdStar Distributed Storage Manager, which morphed into Tivoli Storage Manager, TSM, which is now IBM Spectrum Protect. Yes. And I had these uh, really thick books stacked on my desk. I mean, I could stack them all the way up, maybe to the ceiling. One was a, a command reference. So it had every last command that you can run with the, at the CLI to, you know, configure a storage pool or back up the database or eject a tape or create a scratch pool of tapes or, you know, put the uh, recovery log in roll forward mo mode. So all yeah. of these different things, and we've evolved now in virtualization, and VMware has, you know, stepped on the scene, and now we're hypervising, and you know, we're just it, we're in the cloud. So you know, that's the that's the digital transformation that 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 you're speaking of, and and everything is really morphing. Uh, one question around that though is, where do you see AI and ML in the in the storage industry? Maybe give us a a prediction. So. My prediction is this, you know, and again, I'm speaking from from what our product does. Our product walks all this different storage. And when we walk the storage today, we give you a single pane of glass, but we can also start to pull in metadata and not just the file metadata. We can go into a Word file or an Excel file or into a movie file, and we can start to extract metadata from them and we can give you search across the whole thing. And what we're seeing more and more is that as users and um, IT evolves. People, I, I read an article the other day that said millennials, and I don't want to pick on millennials, but this is what the article said. Millennials don't know how to use a file system. You know, a file tree doesn't make sense to them. 
because what they're used to doing is they're going into something like Facebook or Instagram or Google and they search, right? They search, they put in an intelligent question and they want an intelligent answer back. And so for our product, we are starting to now try to analyze that such that we have the data and we have access to data and now we've indexed the metadata within the data and now how do you, instead of walking a tree view like you would in Finder or Windows Explorer, how do you ask an intelligent question and get the results that you want without, you know, flipping around and looking for a directory name? Or how do we just make it completely intelligent to you? And so I really think that that's a big step forward because everybody's now, you know, you can speak to your your iPhone or you can speak to your Android. You can ask the assistant a question, you know. You can't use a file system like that. You, you can't just speak, you know, go to directory one, two, three, four, subdirectory A, B, C, D. You want to be able to ask your phone a question. And so if we want to make storage or backups, you know, intelligent, we have to index the data. We have to have machine learning that can understand a question and give a proper response. And now that's going to enable humans to, one, work more effectively, and two, be things like hands-free. Maybe you're driving down. I'm not saying that people should drive and text or anything like that, but you know, you're driving and you're on a phone call and somebody asks you a question like, hey, what were the, you know, what's the budget for whatever? How great would it be to just say, hey, Google, you know, open storage made easy. What's the budget forecast for whatever? And we go out and we find the right file. We find the proper data inside it and return it to you. Just like today, you can ask Google those things. You know, you can ask who the 30th president was and it just starts telling you. It doesn't, it, it gives you search results, but it literally starts speaking the answer, right? Kennedy or whoever it was, the, the answer. So that's where, it, at least in storage and backup and recovery, I feel like machine learning could really excel. Uh, plus, you get the PII and the, the you know data governance point of view on that, too. You could say, I want to make sure there are no social security numbers or you know credit card numbers on this type of storage or in this country. So uh, I think there's You're a making world. my job easy again. <laughs> You, you you threw out compliance and regulations and, and PII and just along that same thread uh, around compliance and regulations and maybe industry specific, you know, like GDPR or CCPA. And of course, everyone knows HIPAA. What What is the is the main thing that that you think is like the most important thing that's let, let's say a, a CIO or a CISO uh, needs to be privy of? And let's let's talk about the financial services industries because you mentioned a credit card number. Yeah. What 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 advice would you give that CIO or CISO if they were looking at maybe migrating data from from like an on-prem storage to like uh, data into the cloud like AWS? Sure. Sure. So one of the things that they have to think about are the best practices for moving the the cloud and also bad habits that that people get. And I think COVID jumps in here too, because I was talking about COVID earlier and I was saying that as people, you know, COVID came out more remote working, more remote working meant that certain tools don't work the way they should. So maybe a company has a a Cisco VPN and it was only meant for 10 employees to to access remotely. And now you have a hundred employees working from home all the time. They're trying to use old protocols. So what happens? Either the CIO gets ahead of the problem or we get what we used to call shadow IT. And shadow IT is where a user says, wow, there's this thing called Dropbox or something else, and I can move the data here, and now it's on a cloud, and me and my team can work faster. We, 
IT is not going to slow us down because they're in accounting, right? And they don't need IT slowing them down. And they're already stressed because, you know, they, they had to work from home and everything moved quickly. And so I really think that the first thing is the CIO needs to get a handle on all of the different storage that is being used in the company. Uh, because I think that there is data out there where they probably don't want data. And that's the first thing is you got to make sure that data is in the right hands, even universities we work with. So I, I work with universities. They've got students. Those students all have a Google Drive or something like that. And for some of them, that's more convenient than keeping it on the university storage or gives them more access to it. But then think about this. What happens when that student leaves, right? Maybe they were working on a grant program, maybe some leading research. They're kind of taking that knowledge with them. Maybe there's not another backup. So I think that the, the CIO needs to first scope out all the storage in use, and then they need to find a tool like ours or other tools that are going to allow users to work across different types of storage, know where those files are and the storage is, such that you can identify that somebody put something with a social security number, a credit card number on Dropbox where it's not encrypted underneath, it's encrypted, say, in flight, or you don't know the encryption underneath. And so I think you need two things. First, you have to find the scope of your problem because almost everybody today moving to remote work has a problem, whether they know it or not. And then you need tools that will help you identify it and mitigate it. And those tools, like in our product, you you can pick from a standard number of you know, dropdowns or you can put a regex in. Maybe you've got like a, a certain code that you assign to patients and you put that in and you, you start finding out that people are putting it on Dropbox or, or Box or somewhere where it shouldn't be. And so I think that's what they need. They need the tools and they need to have that conversation with the users without getting in their way. Because, man, somebody in finance, you get in their way and they can't do their job because you won't give them the right tool. You know, now you're at an impasse and they're just saying work around you. All right. Well, C CIOs and CISOs, you, you have the answer right there. So one final question for you, for you, Doug, and, and it, it's, it's a simple question. What are you reading today and what, what's your book recommendation for, for the Gumbo listeners? So, you know, I've been reading a bunch of non-technical books uh, recently. And, and, and the really? one that I'm reading right now is called Dopamine Nation. And it's, um, it's a real insight into, uh, you know, kind of how we got here with the opioid crisis and whatnot. You know, it, it's funny because as humans, you know, like Americans have more stuff we're becoming more and more dissatisfied. So you've got, you know, you've got air conditioning, you've got heating, you've got a roof over your head, you've got three square meals a day, and yet people are more distressed, more miserable than ever before. And you, you see on the news, they blame it on, you know, social media or politics or this or that. But at the end of the day, when when something's rewarding to you, you get this hit of dopamine. And and, and obviously, I'm not going to give this book full full justice, but we are now in a, a comfort state where all we're getting is are these reward hits and we never have any pain or any tribulations. And when we're cold, we put on three jackets. And so we've altered our pleasure pain balance. And I think reading something like this is eye opening to help you determine that, you know what, sometimes it's good to be on a train and not pull your phone out and be bored because boredom is a natural human state. You know, a thousand, even a hundred years ago, we didn't have something to entertain us at all time. And sometimes if you forget your jacket and you run out, don't turn your car unless it's life threatening and it's 20 below. 
don't turn your car around like you'll make it you know go go wherever you're going the store and if you're cold walking from the car to the store some of these things actually help us grow right it's, it's hormesis whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger well all right so uh, that that would definitely be one of my uh, book recommendations great advice and if someone from the audience wanted to get in touch with you and uh, or maybe even find out more information about storage made easy easy What's the best way to do that? The easiest way is to go to uh, storagemadeeasy.com, and that is both our website and our SaaS service. We have a um, SaaS service both in the U.S. and in uh, the EU because, like you talked about, GDPR. We don't want to, you know, cross those data paths. And so um, somebody could come in, they could sign up for a trial, and they could use our SaaS service. And, you know, if you're a bigger company, then you probably want to run our software on, on your own premise or in your own cloud. But at least you could give it a try. You can kick the tires and you can see how easy it is to um, take different data lakes and, and map them together. And, and what you could then give your end users as a single pane of glass into cloud and on-premise storage. All right. Well, you've heard it from Doug, ladies and gentlemen. So... Doug, it's definitely been a pleasure with you on Data Protection Gumbo, and uh, this is the second time around, and m maybe we'll get you for a third, uh, third time around. I'd love to be back on a third. I, I think a lot of new things are, are coming out and coming down the pipe that are going to help people in this space. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure, and we'll, we'll see you on the flip side of 2022 then. You got it. Thank you for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. Please follow us on Twitter at DPG Podcast and join our Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group. Just search Backup and Recovery Professionals on LinkedIn and you will find the group. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, have a fantastic week.